0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from ACAST. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's the Jim fanon Show. We've come to take your mind.
1: Am I still on?
0: Josh Denny is in the house. No script as usual, but this is uh, what we used to do, the Thursday Night Podcast. Doing more guests these days. Buckle up. Enjoy the show. My brother, the links are in the show description wherever you're watching it. Fake book youtube on the true tube channel d live and twitch uh yeah so if you need to find them man I, I ran out of time trying to put all the links up of where to find you bro you are like a busy man and i just listened to your latest podcast that you did on valentine's day that was vicious good guest and then i uh just finished your piece on Kanye West, we'll talk about that later. But just for the people that don't know who Josh Denny is, why don't you take a couple minutes and tell us who you are, where you came from, how did you get to this point, bro?
1: Yeah, I really double-dipped in the chocolate for Black History Month, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Had Adam Coleman on the podcast, a yeah, great author. You, great. Are you familiar with his stuff?
0: No, not until tonight. It's the first time I've heard him.
1: Yeah, yeah, really, really cool dude, really sharp. And, and Adam represents, like – uh Adam represents what I love the most about people is when they sort of diverge from what they are, uh, uh, what's expected of them, right? Like right. people would look at Adam as a black father uh, in this day and age, and have all these sort of predispositions or, or preconceptions preconce- uh, you know, about how he's supposed to be or what he's supposed to think politically or any of those things. And in very in many ways, he kind of breaks the mold and mm-hmm. makes very good points for um a differing viewpoint than i think a lot of black america has and sort of same thing with kanye i think my interest in him is you know similar in that regard but for people who don't know i'm i'm uh (laughs) i've been calling myself the most canceled comedian on the internet and people go well how is that possible you haven't been deplatformed yet but it's more about the attempts than the successful takedowns so i i do have the best takedown defense of canceled comedians uh, but I definitely will tell you I've had more takedowns attempted against me than anybody who ever fought Khabib.
0: Well, they're still trying to get you fired from the Food Network, and you haven't been yeah, there for like four end, years.
1: <laughs> as, <laughs> that's l- as long as that's in the bio, that's never going I love going that anywhere. you leave
0: that in the bio just yeah. – and they continue to disassociate themselves with you. It's awesome. Every time yeah, they well, come for you, they go, oh, you know – he hasn't been here for a long time. And and you weren't not renewed or canceled from the Food Network because of anything controversial. They just didn't pick you up. Is that true? or?
1: Yeah, listen, it's possible from <laughs> there. And like, I'm only privy to the conversations we had, but I know we asked for more money and they said no. Right. And that could have been because of uh, the kind of comedy I was doing and, you know, playing the utmost devil's advocate. If they if nobody really took a deep dive into my stand-up or anything before I got hired right. there, mm-hmm. you know, that That's could have come them. as a surprise. But it mm-hmm. was in the report that the fucking private investigation company that did the research on me like put out. Like anytime they hire a new host uh, and sign them to a futures contract, they have like this this firm that does like a deep dive on you. Criminal, social media, mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. your credit. And then we had this big call with the network about what came out in the report. And they had just like two questions. They were like, yeah, there's this one, uh, there's talk on here that there was on this podcast where they called you a white supremacist. And I go, yeah, like we would do racial bits and one guy would be incredibly racist. And then the other guy would pretend that he's being serious. I was like, you know, it's comedy. And they just went, oh yeah. Okay. Comedy. (laughs) And there was no problem with it because this was 2016 and people hadn't lost their fucking minds yet. Hmm. So, yeah, nobody had an issue with it. And then, uh, so, I again, I don't know that any of my social media stuff or whatever was a factor. I can tell you phone there phone were phone. a couple so things leading up to when, I, when they didn't renew my contract that it could have been, right? I got into it with Adam Richman mm-hmm. over there. Uh, we got into a back-and-forth Twitter fight, and uh, I called him a piece of shit. And, uh, you know, I got a call from my producer was like, don't do that. Don't go back and forth with him. Like, you know, you guys both work on the network. And I go, yeah, well, he started it. So I <laughs> he started it. it. He did. Well, what he was doing is he would go in and when people would shit talk my show, he would go in and like their tweets and comment. And I'm like, all right, so you're being a fucking pussy right now. And you're like, you're literally patting someone on the back who's talking shit about my show. And if you don't like my show, why don't you just fucking say so, dude? Um, and so, yeah, I called him out for being a passive aggressive pussy. And he was like, I don't even know who you are. And I go, well, everyone that we went to that filmed that uh, or every place we filmed that that you had also filmed at, uh, they all know who you are. And nobody had any nice things to say about you. And then he went off and he was like, I called every restaurant that you went to that I went to and they said you're lying. And I was like, only a fucking insane person would do that. Like, what insane person would be like, let me call every restaurant uh, that you went to in your show that I also went to in my show and just be like, hey, was Josh Denny said you said I'm a piece of shit. Did you say that? First of all, who's going to be honest to him when confronted like that? Probably not many people. Second, everyone that you happened to get when you rung in today was working on the day you filmed there 10 years ago? Nobody, no turnover in the restaurant business? They're not famous for that at all, right? So, like, you just happened to get everyone on the horn that were there when you were there 10 years before me? Get the fuck out of here, dude. So, yeah, he's a a lunatic. And every other host on the Food Network was like, uh yeah adam's a cunt just ignore him and i'm like no i'm not going to ignore him if he's going to be a cunt i'm going to call him a cunt on the internet in front of everybody (laughs) and that's 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 what it is i'm not some i'm not the fucking uh i'm not the barefoot contessa i'm a shit-talking comedian i'll bury you you know what i mean like
0: Funny. Uh, that's that's yeah. the word that got, well, they tried to cancel me, but that's what it all came down to, using that word, and, you know, I've, I've used it since, but... Um, Which one? Cunt? Yeah. The I British mean,
1: use it like a term of endearment. I know,
0: it's like you've never seen Ricky Gervais or dumb fucking cunt. Yeah,
1: everything's yeah, a dumb fucking cunt. Jim, Jim Jeffrey's first three specials, I think that's the only word in them. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that's just proof that, like, you can just go, no, no, I agree with all the popular political stuff. And it's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, as long as you just bend the knee to the masters, you can you could have done anything.
0: Yeah. Well, right? it's funny because uh, another girl in my community was guilty of doing the same thing to the same person. And she apologized to the mob and she's right back in. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And they're of still course. coming for me anonymously. And I'm in the Dominican Republic. I mean, I left Canada on the 22nd of October because there were. Well, they closed uh, exiting the country to uh, vaccinated people only, and I didn't uh, never want to be trapped in my own country, so I left.
1: (laughs) At the beginning of the show, you said it's eight o'clock. We're going live, and I go eight o'clock. This motherfucker's in the middle of the ocean because it would be seven in New York, and it would be like way different time in the UK. So I was like, where the hell is Jim?
0: Yeah, we don't we don't fall back in DR. And I I said that the next Canadian uh, politician that promised not to fall back uh, in fall, uh, switch the clocks, would be elected because it's just so stupid. What the hell do you want to see the sun going down at 430? But speaking of money in the Food Network, I think this might be in one of the links in the show description. There was a site, I don't know, some wiki something site that said, that your estimated net worth was 1.5 million. Can I borrow 5 bucks, bro? Uh,
1: yeah, no shit. I wish it was 1.5 million. My my <laughs> the closest my net worth ever got to 1.5 million was actually when I was 23 and I joined Croc Shoes as an operations manager and they gave me a bunch of stock. And at one point that stock was worth about $980,000. Uh, that's the closest I've ever been worth to worth worth that. Wow! Uh, if I were to loan you five bucks today, I would have to figure out where my next five bucks is going to come from, my friend. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I always love those things when they're like, yeah, it's you know, all those celebrity net worth websites. They yeah. go, oh, This person's worth basically what they did was they took the number of episodes up to the point where they wrote that and multiplied it by a million (laughs) dollars and it's like uh Seinfeld made a million dollars an episode at the end
0: yeah, uh nobody
1: on the Food Network is making a million dollars an episode at all Mm -hmm. I don't even think there's a show that has a budget an total entire budget of a million dollars an episode on the Mm -hmm. Food Network I knew we were screwed when Food Network got acquired by Discovery the summer after my show premiered and uh And the the CEO of Discovery, president of Discovery came out and said, you know what we love about the Food Network and all these scripts channels is that they don't cost any money and we don't have to spend any money on talent. And I was like, oh, yeah, good. Good time for me to have asked for a raise.
0: (laughs) Well, Gavin's not paying you. You don't have a a big budget on. You got two shows on Gavin's now, but you haven't done one since. uh, Well, you haven't done uh, next week tonight since. December last year, but yeah, I, well, I did we watch season, Big yeah, Big we, Uglies we, we, this week. That was great.
1: Yeah, we finished season one of next week tonight. Oh, actually the call I had right before this was the writers meeting for season two. So we're about to kick that off. Oh. And and I think uh what well, I what, like to what's a writer's is,
0: meeting entail? Like like
1: you, where we actually get together and start talking about ideas for this season's episodes.
0: Well, who are you collaborating with?
1: I have two other writers, buddies of mine, that are stand up comics.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they're, uh, and I kind of want to like keep who they are secret until we come out because I think it'll be fun. It'll be more fun that way.
0: You're going to bring them on the show and out them?
1: Yeah. No, no. I would, I would love to. They've all been guests on my podcast before. Okay. So,
0: but, um, and the show you did with, uh, who was it with Gavin? I can't remember. Tim?
1: Uh, Oh, no, no. Sam Tripoli? Sam
0: Tripoli. Yeah. I'm not familiar with him, but he was, uh, it was a good dynamic with you three guys.
1: Yeah, it's fun. You know, Sam's got the biggest conspiracy theory podcast, I think, out there now. Oh, does he? Tinfoil hat. Yeah. So, oh, right. you know, when you get the three of us together, you get, you know, Sam, with who's kind of like off the deep end with conspiracies. Uh, you get Gavin, who just really knows his shit socially and politically. And so when I get to sit in a room with two people like that and I get to just play funny guy third chair, that's my favorite position.
0: Yeah, well, Gavin. For the first time, I, I watched him just lay back and wait for his chance to talk. He wasn't uh, steamrolling. You guys kind of ran the show, and he just kind of chirped in here and there.
1: What's well, always tough when you're the streaming guy in, you, you, you know? Because I ran into this with doing Kumiya the other day. Like, if you have a delay at all, all um, right. You know, it's 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 a nightmare because I think I think I have a space, and then when I start to talk, he doesn't hear it right away. So he's try- he doesn't want there to be silence. And so we just kept stepping on each other and it, you know, it's related to technology. I, but I think it came together really well in the tinfoil hat episode with Gavin.
0: No, it like was I, great. Uh, What'd you do with Kunia? Sam's?
1: Uh, I just did uh, Anthony's show on, on Monday, I think. Oh,
0: you're going to be on compound then.
1: No, I did it on. Monday. Oh, it was live. Yeah.
0: Oh, cool. I've been uh, watching him a lot more only because, you know, I've met so many of you, uh, characters through uh, the TV platform, you know, and, uh, Kumi is one of them, you know, I uh, I think I joined, um, this is the guy from uh, New York City, the guy that chain smokes, the comedian, is he on Compound? Oh, shit, I'm bad with names when I'm doing a live broadcast, he's from New York City, chain smokes cigarettes, I don't know, I had him on the show a while ago, it's still one of my best podcasts, but uh, I think I was, I think I subscribed after I interviewed him, and then I couldn't get into Kumio all that much but now that i seen him every see them every Wednesday and sometimes even live on Compound Censored it's uh oh, he's he's kind of similar to Gavin in the way he just straight up shoots you know I love it
1: Well I love I love Gavin and and Anthony together I think there's such a great dynamic a good back and forth where you know they're they're similar in the ways where they can really kind of riff off of the same topics together yeah. but different enough to where it's not repetitive Mhm you know, like their styles of comedy are very, very different.
0: Yeah, and it's just—it's just like hanging out with a couple of them at the bar. They're just to and fro, back and forth. It's just like the good old boys. It's just like full-on backyard party, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that—that's the fun part about being and being around both of them. Like i, I never what I'm around both of them in person or either of them in person. Do my sides hurt? I'm laughing so much you know, and, and that whole compound group, it's like you get more than two or three people in a room, man. It is just, it's fun. It's, that's what I got into comedy for is for that, that kind of hang. And, uh, you know, out in LA, that's just, I've never found that out here. Maybe a couple times where I'd be like in a green room and, you know, Sam would be there. And then like guys like, um, Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer and, you know, Bobby Lee and, and Rogan, like the hang can get like that sometimes with those guys but there's also always just this element of like, Hey, what are you working on? What are you doing? Oh, you did, you did a special. Who'd you do yours with? so it's a lot of shop talk. You know what I mean? And the nice thing about hanging out with Gavin and Kumia is that there really doesn't ever feel like there's an excess of shop talk.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Chrysler's one of my favorites. He seems like one of the nicest guys in comedy and not a huge Tom Segura fan, but, uh,
1: that's weird because yeah. I'm the opposite. Like yeah. I like Tom as a comedian so much more. Really? And, yeah, I'm
0: a, I'm and the dude. And Bert opposite. is
1: like Bert is just uh Bert kind of reminds me of my older brother where he's like when when you're around him, he is fucking on 24 7. Right. And it's just it, you don't get a break from it. So, so But yeah, both both really friendly, you know, fun dudes. They've all been very nice to me the the times we've worked together. And you know. I, I met Tom. Shit, I met Tom like 12 years ago in Los Angeles. We were both doing a show together at the Improv. And, uh, you know, back then he was like just starting to, I think he had just done his first CD. He hadn't even done a, I think he was about to do a Comedy Central Presents. And then like a year later, he started going on the road and opening for Rogan uh, around the country and internationally. So, you know, you think about how long it takes to like blow up as a standup. You know, he was at the level that I'm at fucking 12 years ago you know really and now he's you know he's a superstar you know they just did that big probably hundred million dollar deal for ymh studios where they're going to be doing their podcast and a bunch of others for iHeartRadio. i think who's oh, the parent company right so you know good for those guys
0: yeah, stand-up comedians uh, it's, or stand-up comedy has got to be the most difficult thing you can do on stage. Like, I mean, you know, I always say I'm hilarious, but, like, I've never, and that's one of my, probably on my bucket list of, you know, try to get up and do even a 10-minute bit where you can make the room laugh. It's It's got to be one of the hardest things to do in the arts.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I find that doing Next Week Tonight helps with my stand-up because I a lot of those rants, you know the show's pretty simple format. There's a headline portion, and then kind of two rant portions. And generally, the rant portions are like premises that I'm developing for standup. And so the cool thing is when you have the benefit of editing, with I which I do with next week tonight, I can like run through the bit uh, and do different takes and different versions, and then I can chop it up however I want uh, for the show. And then boom, the bit is done. Like I have the bit finished. And record it in a way that I can now take out and do it shows or whatever if I want. You know, and add any sort of crowd participation elements that you can't get from next week tonight or anything like that. So, yeah. you know, that's one of my biggest beefs with comedians, is I don't ever really feel like they use the mediums to their fullest potential. Like if you're gonna do a stand-up special and the medium is video and all it is is just a recording of a live show, it's like you're not really utilizing the medium to its full potential.
0: Why don't you hit on the Kanye piece because I was so impressed with your writing skills. I, you know, you say you're a writer and I've heard, you know, I s- see people saying that you're a great writer on Twitter and whatnot, so I went and, and it's a deep piece and you go everywhere with it. So to, to start by telling us the, uh, the title.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the title of the article, I, I, I've i been doing this column uh, almost weekly for the Vegas Take, which is a friend of mine's uh, site okay. out of Las Vegas, um, uh, my buddy J.D. Sharp. And um, the uh, Kanye piece is titled uh, How 400 Years of Slavery Could Sound Like a Choice. Uh, so obviously, you know, the, the idea of the article came from, the pushback he got from that moment in 20, I want to say it was 2018. I'm pretty sure it happened like a few weeks or maybe months before my thing went down in may of 2018. But, um, you know, I remember when all that broke off and I remember thinking in that moment, like I kind of get where he's coming from. And then I started watching his documentary. Have you watched it?
0: No, I haven't seen it yet, but I, that article made me want to watch it.
1: It's incredible. I finished it last night. The third chapter came out yesterday and it kind of like covers everything from after his record deal and his first album came out to now. So it's very compiled. It's a lot of information crammed into 90 minutes of his life. But some of that has to do with the fact that the documentarian and he lost touch for many years and didn't really work together for many years. So there's kind of like a a gap that they sort of jump over um, like a time lapse. But What's interesting about Kanye is, is uh, I do think he kind of represents this weird space we are in time where um, if people, this is why I don't believe in things like anxiety or depression uh, per se, because what ends up happening is if, if you're somebody who's diagnosed with one of these conditions like bipolar or BPD, um, you know, there's, um, it's, there's such a stigma that comes with it to when, whenever you say things people people don't like, they just go, oh, he's off his meds, or "Oh, he's having a manic episode. And it gives people the, the right or the ability to dismiss what you're saying as crazy, uh, which is kind of wild to me that in this time where things are so progressive, that we're very quick, people are both very quick to use uh, their quote unquote mental illness as a crutch. But they're also willing to use it uh, as a crucifix for people who say things they don't like and agree with. And so the article goes on to unpack the, you know, uh, what he meant by 400 years of slavery sounds like a choice. And then it kind of goes back and chronicles, not just how I discovered or or how I came to find out who Kanye was and start listening to his music um, and a little bit of backstory on me, but it also kind of takes you through some of the lyrics in his first album and everything else. And saying that, I think, I think people misunderstood what he was saying all those years ago in those songs. And if you look at what he's saying now, uh, he's kind of been saying these things all along and it's more of an indictment of black culture. It's an indictment of black values. Um, And a lot of the stuff we talked about on my podcast with Adam Coleman is the idea that, you know, most of the problems in the black community come from within the black community. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the, you know, the 300 pound elephant in the room that nobody ever wants to talk about. And if you do it with my face, you're immediately labeled a white supremacist. And if you do it with Larry Elder's face, you're also labeled a yeah, white well, supremacist. He's the, so he's the like, black
0: face of white supremacy. We all know. Yeah,
1: that. I mean, so there's you just can't fucking win. And, you know, so I, I really think Kanye is maybe the last hope of, um, you know, somebody who could maybe break through the culture and change right. the way people think about uh, their problems or or their illnesses or whatever you know, ailments or afflictions they believe are preventing them from getting to where they want to be in life. You know, he's one of the last hopes and I find him a very interesting and inspiring dude for that. So that's why I wrote the piece.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's almost like if you're white, you can't you can't. we can't discuss the problems in the ba- black community, even though they're glaring. And, you know, I've been saying for I don't know how long that, you know, the number one problem we have in society right now is fatherlessness, and especially when you look at the black community. I know you touched on that Big in the issue, article. Big issue, yeah. And, and uh, in the podcast with Adam as well. And so I hear you when you say... You know, Kanye seems like the last hope because, you know, they demonize guys like Larry Elder, who I think is just a fantastic, brilliant man who can speak well to the issues. But it's just like, you know, the femi- feminists will say no uterus, no opinion on, uh, on uh, abortion or whatever. And I was surprised to hear that you, uh, you know, it's always one of my questions that I find interesting answers to is like, What have you changed your speed on? What what have you spoken to? And I love the way you put it. Like, if we don't speak to people that have differing opinions, we're stuck in our own echo chamber and we never change our opinion on it. So I was was surprised to hear that you're a radical pro-lifer now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and and it came from doing a podcast with a friend of mine, uh, Adam Yenzer, who's a conservative comedian, was a writer on Ellen for many, many years, which surprises a lot of people to find out because he... You know he's open, openly conservative, and yet was writing on Ellen's show for a long, long time, and um, and now does a lot of stuff with the Babylon B. So if you're a Babylon B. fan, uh, he was in the sketch that I did with the B. where we played undercover uh, police officers trying to uh, stage the insurrection, and then uh, uh, but he's done a lot of stuff and continues to do a lot of stuff with those guys over there at the B. Very funny comedian, but we had a conversation about it on my podcast and. I used to have what I call the like the Uber libertarian point of view of like, well, you're not gonna stop it. We shouldn't have laws around it and people people could do whatever they want to do. Right. But when he he posed it to me in a way of like, it's the only exception we make for allowing one person to electively end the life of another person. Mm -hmm. When you start to look at it that way and you go, Hey, so either murder's okay or it's not okay. Right uh, where, where, if we're going to make a concession for that, then where are all the other places we can make the concession for? And I think if we're going to try to say that we live in a society where, you know, life, people's lives are sacred, uh, that I don't think abortion as, as the way it's practiced today can be a part of that. And also society helped me change the way I feel about it too, because, you know, I, when women say bullshit today, like it's the hardest thing a woman ever does. I believe that 22 years ago when I was in high school, and the girl who got the abortion uh, in a religious town was like shunned and had no friends and like ended up having to go to school at the Annex Learning Center. Like, and, and her school was from like three to nine when everybody, you know, like when that girl is like shunned like the Amish do. um, Yeah, I believe, yeah, it's a hard choice to make. But today they give you a trophy and slap you on the ass and tell you to get the fuck out there again. You know, it's like, it is abortion. not a hard... It's a hard thing to have a child these days. Mm-hmm. If a woman stuck to her guns as a teenage mother and was like, "Yeah, I don't believe in uh, killing," and uh, you know, I, I, um, you know, even though it's not ideal, I'm going to have the child. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a much more noble choice, and that's really the hard choice today. It's not hard for women to get abortions; they they have punch cards. They think it's a fucking joke, and I do think that the way we have you know, like I remember when I was young and Bill Clinton gave that famous speech on abortion saying that it should be safe, legal, and rare. And we have just fucking proven as a society that if it's legal, it will not be safe and it will not be rare because we're savages. You know, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. We will only ever adhere to the guidelines that society sets for us. Uh, And if we just, you know, it'll be the fucking purge if we roll back some of these things. So- I think that's one where we just go, listen, you just don't get to decide who lives and who dies. You don't get, humans don't get to do that to each other. And, you know, and then on top of it, it's like, to me, you have this, so many people waiting to adopt children in this country who can't have kids. So Mm -hmm. the same side that is super pro-gay marriage, and my philosophy on marriage is very libertarian. I don't think the government should be involved in it at all. It sounds like a private contract between two people. Mm -hmm. I agree. But- Uh, but if if you're going to be super pro same sex marriage, why are you getting rid of the adoptable fucking inventory for these gay guys to have children? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So gay, gay, uh, men and women are on like five year waiting lists to have children to adopt. Um, and we're just throwing the inventory in the trash. It Mm -hmm. just seems like a bad supply demand, uh, conundrum that we're in. Mm -hmm. And listen, everybody can, you can see plain as day. Like, you know, government is big on abortion because it it's population control. It's the same reason they're so pro gay. They shouldn't care about any of these things. That's not their responsibility. In government, the government's role is to do essentially three things: right, maintain order, um, uphold municipalities, right, make sure our roads and our infrastructure is right and everything else, and to settle disputes, right. Other than that, anything that is not necessarily those three things, well, that's the; those are the purposes of laws, right? I, I'm kind of extrapolating it out and saying that's the purpose of government, but that's really, that is the purpose of laws. Laws are intended to do one of those three things, uh, maintain order, uh, uphold a morality in society, and to settle disputes between two people. Government's job should essentially be to allow those things to transpire with the least amount of influence and interaction, and we couldn't be further from that today with the way that our government functions and so yes they're going to be pro-gay they want to limit the the growth of the pop, of the population yeah yeah they're going to be pro-abortion they're trying to limit the growth of our population we haven't gotten to the level where they're going to try to forcefully genocide a bunch of us unless you are of the yoke that believes that covid19 was designed specifically to do that um which is possible and i've heard great theories on that uh um, well, i think it's more I, the
0: jab than the the actual covid but could maybe, be that too i've both, heard that yeah. as
1: well right mm-hmm. You know where people go? Yeah, well the the virus wasn't supposed to get out, but the vaccine is there to make sure that the if you don't get the virus, they still get you. So uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to to look at it, but um, yeah, I, th- and that's what's amazing to me is like you know, women think that the government is behind abortion because it empowers them to have a choice over another person's life. That's not the reason, and they, nobody should be given that uh, that autonomous ability to make a choice about life or death over another individual. And so when Adam started explaining to me, if you just look at the baby as an individual, a citizen, which is the way we treat children born on U.S. soil, birthright citizens, then they have the same entitlement to the protections of the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution that every citizen has. And if that's the case, then where is that unborn fetus's life liberty and pursuit of happiness being protected in a legalized abortion state and i you know he made enough convincing arguments that it swung me over
0: well i appreciate anyone that's flexible enough and i've man i've had a huge transition over the last five years on a bunch of different things uh and you know what i never really had a strong take on abortion before now and now I kind of, I, i land, you know, with the belief that kind of goes with my Christian faith. Are, are you a believer? I, I didn't think you were, but maybe I was yeah, wrong. Yeah. I, you
1: know, I, it's, it's very difficult for me to uh, say that I'm a religious person because I grew up with so many influences from so many different faiths, different faiths. Um, like I grew up Protestant and then I had relatives that were very Catholic and would kind of really push that stuff on me. Um, and then I had, uh, you know then i moved to the midwest where everybody was lutheran and so that was a little bit different and then um you know my my girlfriend's middle eastern she's bahai and then uh, but even through that you know irrelevant kind of uh, or unavoidable side thing is like when you hang out with middle eastern people you find out that most of them are different religions so some of our friends are muslim some of our friends are jewish some you know so you have all that these sounds, different exposures sounds, to different people and different faiths
0: sounds awfully tolerant for a white supremacist big yeah you know i'm doing a real bad
1: job of (laughs) real bad job of being a white supreme yeah and you Um, even
0: you even delved into that in the kanye piece about you know the thought of having a black child because you've had black girlfriends and you know how you wouldn't have that talk with your black son about how the world's out to get him and that he's going to be held back and that white cops are going to be trying to kill him at every turn you know
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, I, you know, and some of that comes from, uh, I've talked about this a little bit on shows and stuff, but some of that comes from the little bit of time I spent with my mom's boyfriend who was black. His name was James. They were together for about two or three years uh, between my dad and her next husband. And um, he had a baby who was like a year old or maybe younger while they were together. Uh, It was from his girlfriend before my mom. Young guy, I think he was like 28, Air Force veteran. but. You know, his perspective on race in general was a big part of sort of shaping um, my outlook on things. And it's like, listen, all you can control in this life is the kind of person you are and what you put out into the world. And if that's dictated by what the world throws at you, you're just going to be a very unhappy uh, person and you're not going to accomplish any of your goals. And so, you know, I I look at that and I, I feel like, man, you know, you never know what the world is going to throw at a young black man, but you almost guarantee it when you set him up for it. I always use the matrix analogy of the vase, right? That scene in the first matrix movie where he goes to see the Oracle and she goes, don't worry about the vase. And he goes, what vase? And he knocks it over. Right. And she goes, now, now you're going to wonder if if it would have happened had I not said anything to me, that is the talk for young black men. I think parents give their young men and, and daughters the talk and then they literally go out into the world expecting those problems looking for those problems looking for that trouble and it fucking finds them mm-hmm. and and the best way to avoid that from happening is to just not create that environment in the mind of your children right and think about that take race out of it if you fucking told your kids that they're only ever going to amount to so much because certain people in the world don't like them will never like them uh, and we'll try to prevent them from being successful. Are you being a realist or are you putting limitations on your children before they even go out into the world and discover what it is for themselves? I mean, I just think that's, I. you know, Gavin says the talk is child abuse. And I couldn't agree more uh, with that sentiment mm-hmm. that, yeah, I think black parents having the talk with their black children is fucking child abuse. You're literally sending them out there, believing that they're going to be persecuted and murdered. And then that is going to create hostility on their end towards those individuals. And that's going to escalate problems. I see it happen all the time.
0: Yeah. You're actually creating a psychological filter for which they will see their whole entire life through. And it's no wonder we've got problems with race. I mean, no, I heard you say the other day, was it Morgan Freeman said, you know, how you you, you stop? You, here's how we end racism stop talking about it. Because yeah. every time we're, yeah. we're more tolerant than we've ever been, North America's the most tolerant society in the world. And we have the left telling us that we're all bad. And that, you know, in, in my country, my former country, hopefully. Uh, Justin Trudeau is lately just virtue signaling about how the RCMP is racist, how the, the judges are ra- like he, he's indoctrinating a whole new generation of people by saying, oh yeah, we're bad and you're bad.
1: Well, and I've long said this is like generally what I've experienced that maybe you've seen this too, Jim, is um, the people that often are like the most vocal about woke shit have the most checkered past. Like I always use the example of Mark Wahlberg. Like he gave an interview one time for I think it was for Rolling Stone or something where he went into great detail about how essentially him and like a bunch of other kids from the neighborhood stoned a fucking Asian kid that they went to school with. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Mark Wahlberg, like you literally threw rocks at a kid because of his of his race. And now you're like, yeah, racism is bad. No, 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 no. Like you actually were racist and did racist things. Don't tell people like me. Who make racist jokes but have never thrown rocks at anybody, uh, that that I'm worse. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. and that's the world we live in now where it's just like, well, and what people, what the woke will tell you is, well, your jokes hurt feelings and those rocks hurt feelings, so they're the same. And I'm like, Words your no, violence. Yeah. We can't live in that world no. that's not based in reality at all. And I would argue that the, my, the bravery that I have to go into black clubs or regular clubs and make racist jokes or racial jokes, right. uh, because I don't even like when people call jokes racist, yeah, it, there's it a difference. sort of implies, it implies that there's intention right. behind the, the material. So mm-hmm. we'll call them racial jokes, but i mean which is perfectly
0: fine it's how we grew up in the schoolyard everyone was everyone's nickname was racially or ethnic ethnically based
1: or size right like yeah i mean you know uh if there was a fat black kid in school in the 90s everyone called that kid biggie smalls everybody (laughs) right that had to do with both race and his size so you know it's like and also but that's how you bridge the gap yeah. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone on stage and, like, hammered the audience with, like, racial shit. And then, you know who comes up to talk to me at the end of the show first? Black people. Mm. And then it's like, oh, that was fun. We had fun with yeah, it. You killed And it. also, like, how do you know some of those things? Because that's <laughs> stuff that only black people know. Yeah. And I go, no, I know because, you know, when I grew up, my mom dated a black guy or this black woman I dated. Her father was like that or whatever then it just, like, it really is, it can be an olive branch between people with different backgrounds. And mm-hmm. what happens is the, the woke are people who have either entirely vanilla backgrounds, so they have no cultural perspective on it at all, or their backgrounds are so bad and they've actually done horrible things to, like, marginalized groups or people or whatever, mm-hmm. and they have guilt. And they have tremendous guilt about it. And then that that wokeness is a manifestation of that guilt. And celebrities, it's the same thing, regardless of whether they have a checkered past. It's like they feel undeserving of their money and their fame. So they express that guilt by talking about woke things like, oh, yeah, no, but, you know, stop Asian hate. What does that even mean? You know,
0: or yeah. And, uh, you know, on the Asian hate thing. Who's committing the crimes against yeah. Asian people?
1: Yeah, that's my that's my favorite <laughs> game to play. Is can you find me a white one? Every time there's like I'm on the Citizen app. I, I follow this thing called Street People of Los Angeles on Instagram.
0: What's the Citizen just, app? Like,
1: Citizen app is uh, it's like an app on iPhone. I think they're on Android as well, where uh, people report like the crimes that are happening or going on. So it's almost like a police scanner okay. app. Yeah um and so like if there's a robbery in your neighborhood you can see if there's a shooting you can see it like you get notifications about that stuff and um so it's just people alerting other people on the app like this is what the fuck's going on in our neighborhood right now it's kind of like next door but it's more crime focused uh, or as i call it black people next door um but anyway uh there's yeah but that's the crazy thing is i'll be like all right cool like let me scroll through this and find the crazy white guy who stabbed a random girl on Santa Monica, Third Street Promenade. And they just don't exist. They do not exist. And so how do we even begin to fix that if we can't even address that that's a reality of the situation? Or talk about it. Yeah, it's like, you you know, if if that is the case, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean, and this is the thing that's so horrific, and I always say this when we talk about legalizing drugs, I believe the main reason that the left doesn't legalize drugs is because they associate the crime in those neighborhoods strictly to the fact that drugs are illegal what happens when you legalize drugs and the crime and the murder doesn't go anywhere and it stays the same then you just every white supremacist is gonna go we fucking told you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but in between the white supremacist going this is a, a eugenics thing and the left pretending it has nothing to do with race is the truth somewhere in the middle of we have to cut to the core of why there is more violence in those communities, why there is more uh, aggression in those communities and cultures, and and what's the real root of it. And I don't disagree that fatherhood is a big part of it. I also think a big part of what I talked about in that Kanye interview is or article is uh is like what is glorified and valued in the culture, like murder for yeah. a long time was valued in the culture. The yeah. entire gangster rap movement Being a was pimp. about drugs, murder, pimp, pimp, killing people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you have rappers rapping about killing people and blowing money and and abandoning their families and that's like baller shit, that's cool. What the fuck do you think the culture is going to be? And Candace Owens got dragged for saying this like a year ago, but she goes like, why is the black culture the only one that will take like murderers and drug addicts and put them up on a pedestal? She said this when George Floyd happened. She's like, why are all of our heroes you know, scumbags?
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't
1: we ever have people in our culture that we hold up for positive reasons and not because they got shot by the police or, uh, you know, there's some sort of martyr.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's an interesting question, you know, and, and like, I like listening to people talk about those things. And I, and I listen as much as I like those. I like listening to people like Killer Mike because I feel like Killer Mike, even though he's very woke on some things, he is interested in actually talking about the real problems in those communities and real solutions for those communities and nobody else is interested in doing those things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And it seems again, I mean, I love Candace Owens too, but uh, again, as a, as a, what do you, uh, a non-person of color, a person of cracker non-color? ass cracker. <laughs> you can't bring up those things. Man. Cracker,
1: <laughs> saltine you know, ass I, motherfucker.
0: I am, i
1: i love it i love for me it's
0: hard to think of something that i'm offended by you know like you know i used to have this conversation with my girlfriend i used to say you know if i call you a dyke are you offended she's like no i said why well because she's pretty confident about her sexuality i said well if i call you stupid are you offended oh yeah and you know, because she's a she, fucking she always, retard. I she, it. she always used to say, I'll let you do the thinking, you know? Dude,
1: I, I got a uh so when the um when the Victoria's Secret, I shouldn't be I shouldn't keep talking about this because I'm gonna burn my joke or somebody else is gonna do it as well. But uh I'm working on this new bit for stand up uh about the uh Down syndrome Victoria's Secret model, Sophia jurai And uh she was. She was. I will admit, I was look. I looked at enough pictures to where I actually typed into my search bar, "Is it legal to fuck a retarded person?" Right. Which right off the bat, like dangerous territory. Like you know, who knows what sirens go off when you press enter on that search bar. But it turns out that it, it didn't. There no sirens went off because there's not a clear cut answer. It really boils down to, does a judge and a jury,
0: if you were to be charged,
1: mm-hmm. believe that that person? is too
0: retarded to consent. Well, it should be illegal. And Gavin says the same thing, that if you have sex with somebody that's mentally challenged, I'll say you should be charged with rape because they don't have the mental capacity to consent. But here's what's
1: terrifying, Jim. Here's what I'll say to you that's terrifying. I've lived with my girlfriend for 10 years. I don't know how long you've been with yours. But I've seen her do some shit, and I don't have the utmost confidence that if we put her on the stand, that a judge or a jury... Would not find her too retarded to consent to sex with me either. So I'm my concern is not can we fuck retarded chicks? My concern is find me one that can't that will absolutely pass not being retarded in a court of law. Because I don't know that this she's out there. I mean, think about yours and all the retarded shit she's done. If you if I put my girlfriend on the stand and they were like walk us through your day and she's like well in the morning I wake up and I take a dump and sometimes my legs fall asleep and I need to be helped off the toilet to get up they'd be like you know who else shits like that in the morning retarded people and so if any of our women get put on the stand we're all going to fucking prison dude I hate to tell you they're all too retarded to fuck if we, re- if we put them on the stand and we had a real good lawyer cross them they're all too retarded to fuck we're, we're doomed and the gays have figured this out, and they're the only ones who aren't going to be in prison in five
0: years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I guess uh, I was going to lead into the next question would be, um, do you censor your bits at all? It doesn't sound like you are. Right? Nope. Are you dropping N-bombs nope. in your black club bits? or have you? Have yeah, you... and it
1: says the thing, like, I, I defend to the death people's right to use whatever language they want, and, and other comics sort of, like, are intellectually dishonest about that. They're like, oh, he just wants to go into clubs and scream the N-word. It's like, no. But I want if but if it makes a joke perfect, mm-hmm. I want to be able to. I want to have that arrow in my quiver. It's like that that bit, that bit on um, Bill Maher that he they tried to cancel him for, and he ended up doing a mea culpa to right. Ice Cube, which was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That bit was perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the way he th- delivered that line, it's like it's absolutely perfect, and for him to apologize for that was like that was a death blow to comedy because it's like he's not being racist it's the perfect retort to what the guy across from him said it's just the perfect retort and you and it's not funny without that word if he said i'm a house n-word the joke doesn't land no you know what i mean and so it's like you he has to say it to fucking crush that joke. And there's no
0: benefit of saying N-bomb or N-word because like Avin says, as soon as I say N-word, you play the word in your head. You hear it? Yeah, we all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Exactly. It would be like, It's (laughs) It's no difference. It's, It's the only word that is segregated by class. Like there's a, it's the only word that certain people can use. And you know what? I've been saying this about the word for a long time. I love the fact that the black community took the word back and yeah. made it look so ridiculous that they use it on each other to just make, in other words, uh, yeah, we're going to use it on each other to prove to you that it means absolutely nothing to us.
1: Me and my friends use it on each other all the time. And it's 10 times funnier because we're white. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is what people don't understand is like people go, ah, there's no, ex-. have you ever seen two white guys call each other that word? It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. And it's just because, because it's so absurd. That's the thing is like, yeah, it's, it's absurd. And by the way, so is it totally fine if I jump on my podcast and I go, you know, I, I don't think N words are even three fifths of a people. I think N words are subhuman animals and N words really like that would be way worse. <laughs> right. But I'm using the the right words, so is that fine? It's just this, this is how fucking stupid these people are. Yeah. It's like, yeah, wouldn't you rather me say the word in an endearing way than avoid the word and actually be a white supremacist? Like, can we have a real honest conversation about uh are you too fucking stupid to realize what people are saying or not saying? You know, and this is this is now the line I take about it is like um I can't remember how I said it on Twitter. It was like perfect.
0: You do um, have a pretty perfect Twitter feed, man. You've, but, and you, there's no holes at bars. Have you never been canceled from Twitter?
1: Uh, they, they made me delete one tweet one time ever. Because you're, joke you're was, turning,
0: you're over 100K. That's a good yeah. account, man.
1: Yeah. The, um, uh, what, before I get on, oh, no, I said, I said, uh, the liberal left wants us fighting over the N word because they think, Black people are too stupid to know the difference between it being used in a in a joke and being used as a slur. And I don't think you're too stupid to know. And the they difference.
0: made you take that one down.
1: No, 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 no. Oh, That's okay. that one's fine. That passed, no, I was, okay. but I was saying that was the tweet that like perfectly encapsulated oh, okay. the way that I'm having this conversation now. Is people go, mm. oh, I don't think you should use it in that context. I go, no, it's fine. You're smart enough to know the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then you're a fucking idiot. Mm. Um. That's that's the line. But the joke they made me take down was I said uh, it was when Billie Eilish's documentary came out or whatever. It might have been before that. But I said, Billy Eilish's music is so bad that we should have fed as many children as we needed to to Michael Jackson. And that was the joke that they were like, you got to delete this. Oh, really? And I was like, really, of all the things I've said, there's wow. no slurs in it. There's nothing. Wow. But you know, people reported it as if, as if it was like pro pedophilia and it's like no, it's pro comedy.
0: I still don't think Michael Jackson was a pedo. I think he was a weirdo, but I don't think Yeah, he I was think he was I think he was
1: asexual and and I believe the rumors that he was chemically castrated at mm-hmm. like 12 or whatever. So oh, I think right. I think in a weird way he was like living out a boyhood fantasy. I really don't believe there was anything sexual about it and I don't believe like they go, oh, there were moments where like housekeepers or whatever saw him looking at his penises with the other kids, and it's like, yeah, but twelve-year-olds do that with each other. Like twelve-year-olds in the locker room, be like, "Ew, look, he's got a weird dick. Look at your dick. Like it's not sexual. It's just what twelve-year-olds do. So if he was a twelve-year-old in the brain, it makes sense. I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't think he was molesting kids. But I said what was hilarious is I said fed, uh, and uh, I didn't say let him have sex with. Uh, I don't even know if I said Fed. I might have just said we should have given him as many children as he needed, or something like that. Uh, which, again, that's what I love about the way I do stand up and write is because everything that's offensive about it is in the mind of the listener. Like most of the time, it's and not that's what, what I makes actually it funny said.
0: too. I mean, how many comedians go see? Yeah, like, they they, yeah. they call well, you on your racism because you're like, oh, you, you think it's so funny, and I just proved that you're the racist. I'm not the yeah, one on stage. Yeah, it's the
1: joke I do about slavery. I go, I'm lazy as shit. If it were legal, I would totally have slaves. And then sometimes the audience will get tight, and I'll go, I just want to point out I didn't say what color they'd be. You just fucking guessed because you guys are racist. Mm. Um, And it's a ton of fun. Like, what's really great about that, is if you have like a real good mixed audience, like the best time I ever did that joke was in the original room at the comedy store. And the audience was just happened to be like perfectly black, half black and half white. And they were almost segregated. Like there were more black people on the right side of the room than the left. And so when I said that line of like, I didn't say like the white people got nervous. The black people were almost like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say next? And when I said, uh, I go, I just want to point out and say what color they'd be. The white people got super fucking embarrassed. And then the black people started raining shit on the white half of the audience, like, oh shit, he fucking got you, dude. Oh, you 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 did he's right. You did pick us. You picked us again. And then I started going in on the black half of the audience being like, Oh, like you motherfuckers wouldn't have all the slaves. Look how lazy you guys are. You know, I go, I bet three or four of you would have needed your slaves to hold the table because you're fucking late here tonight. Oh, I was having fun <laughs> with it, man. And it's like, you can have fun with people and joke about that stuff. It's and nobody, what it is
0: to be human, man. Nobody
1: wanted to fight me after no. that show. They just It was fun. They knew we were having fun. I want to get back to doing shit that's fun. And that's what I yeah. like about doing stuff on censored TV with Gavin, because I feel like we're in this weird niche of the right. You got Ben Shapiro, who's like the super serious religious mm-hmm. conservative right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like Turning Point USA, which is kind of like the fun really buttoned up kind of a Amish Hitler youth right conservative side which is fine like they can do they're like we have guns and our women dress like little house on the prairie it's fine we take tens and we make them look like sixes that's what we do that's what conservatism is and I go that's fine you got the Puritans you got the conservative Jews we're like the punk rock national lampoon side of conservatism mm-hmm. Like that is what I see us being and that's what I that's what psychs me up about making shit like next week tonight over there or big uglies. Like to me next week tonight has the opportunity to be like what the lampoon was in the seventies. You know what I mean? Like really going after the idea of what's acceptable or appropriate. Um, And almost like having this sort of mad magazine vibe of like, I don't care how offensive it is. The, the writer's meeting I had before this, I was like, I literally want you to think like, where's the line. And then I want you to throw yourself over it. Like that is, that is where I want this season to go. I want the clips of this show to be things that get shared around the Internet. Like, oh, my fucking God, can you believe they made this joke? Because that's what comedy used to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now it's so far away from that. The more it's like put,
0: outrageous, the more funny.
1: It's bumper bowling. I made a joke in season one um, about uh, Usher's kids drowning. Uh, so that's how fucking edgy season one got. Uh, where I joked about um, how, I, I can't even remember the setup of it, but I was joking about how the the two biggest things uh, that black people are afraid of in movies is uh, type 2 diabetes and shallow bodies of water. And I showed the final scene of Black Panther where they're literally fighting in like a half a foot of water. Um, <laughs> and I go, if you, and then at the end of it, I go, if you don't think it's that, If the stakes are that high or if it's that serious of a problem for black people, just ask Usher's children, which is only funny if you know that one of them did drown in their pool in the backyard and the other one almost drowned in their pool in the backyard, which you would think like maybe you're not a pool family after almost two children die. Maybe it's like maybe you be the house that doesn't have the pool, you know. (laughs) Um, but it, but it is one of those things of like, how many people are going to make that joke? Like I made a Nick Cannon's baby died joke the fucking day after it happened. Like, and that's what, to me, that's what a current events news show should be. Like it, and if it's on the internet, shouldn't it be more severe and harsh than anything on TV? Mm-hmm. So that's the challenge for season two. And that's part of the reason why we've taken so much time off is I've really wanted to make sure I get the right dudes in to write with me. And I want to make sure that it's not just reliant on how many good jokes I can write in a week, but it's how many the three of us can write. And even being on the call and fucking around, I'm like, dude, we're gonna we're gonna make some real awesome shit this
0: season. Mm, I'm looking forward to that. They're both
1: really funny guys. And one of them is like really dry and sarcastic, Mm. and the other one is just a sledgehammer, man, and really fucking funny.
0: You think the so, pendulum swings back and yeah. what do you think the the impact of Rogan's apology is on the community, especially in comedy? I think I
1: you know, I honestly, I don't think it changes anything. I think it's disappointing for people like me that were fans of Joe's, but I also understand it. I also get like I also know that as you get older you have less fight in you. And so a guy who's 53 or 54 is not going to be like Joe at my age was way more gung ho and Mm -hmm. way more in your face and would have never apologized for it. And so it would be unreasonable and unfair for me to go fuck him, because if I'm 54 and I have a black daughter and I have hundreds of millions of dollars, is that really my fight anymore? Is that a battle for me? Or do I just do what makes my life easier? It's it's hard to say, but I'd like to think that, uh, you know, I'm never going to change, but I'm sure he would have said the same thing at 38 too. So I, I think, I don't think it changes anything. I think the people that were pussies before Joe's apology are still pussies. I think the people who were doing whatever they wanted before Joe's apology are going to keep doing whatever they wanted. I don't think it changes anything. But you it think, just It did bum me out though.
0: You think the pendulum does swing back though?
1: Yeah, I'm betting on it. I think Gavin is, too. I mean, I think I think that's the investment in Sensor TV is, like, saying when this pendulum swings back, you know, where are you going to be when it comes back around? Mm-hmm. Because anybody who tries to be edgy when that comes back in style who was a pussy beforehand, mm-hmm. everyone's going to mm-hmm. know it's fake. Right. They're, we're going to have the receipts. Like, remember when you were telling people they're not allowed to make fun of people's race, and now you're doing it? Mm-hmm. So I just think um, – and even if the pendulum never fully swings back around i'm fine having like a cult following a cult group of people that do think anything goes and mm-hmm. anything can be funny
0: well he's uh he's popular enough i know he's been working on it a long time but at uh, twenty five thousand subs at 10 bucks a month that's that's pretty respectable
1: not nothing is that the number by the way i've, I've that's heard different he's been numbers talking. yeah
0: he's, he's yeah he, he yeah, i mean he was at 20 for a long time and i think he's been trotting out no, 20 25 lately so yeah, you know, that's, that's not the that's goal not... by
1: the way. My my goal is 100, 100,000 subscribers. Mm. Um I think that's close to what The Wire has. Wow. Yeah, I think they're right around I think they're between cuz they were at 50 before the move to Nashville. So I think wow. they're they got to be around 90 to they got to be around 100,000 monthly subscribers. And we're going to make better shit than them. Mm. Like that's the thing. It's like we get to 100,000 subscribers, we can make Animal House. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's the goal. The goal is to be, you know, who's, this is the other thing. Who, what, what's the last fucking really funny comedy movie you've seen that's come out in the last 10 years? There isn't one. Mm-hmm. There isn't one. You know what I mean? So like, I just want to get back to, you know, where, where people have the balls to make comedy and people should, you know, anybody watching this who isn't uh, subscribed to censored subscribe. Like that's what we need. We need subscribers. And the more subscribers we get, the more, you know, finances we have to do shit and to make cool shit. And the thing I love about Gavin is he's very much like, dude, if we have the resources, fucking go get it. Like, go do it. Go have fun with it. He doesn't care if it's, you know, there's no line. There's no, Oh, that's too far. That's inappropriate. There's none of that. And so, you know, that's, that's why I laugh when people are like, Josh, go do stuff with the daily wire. I go, why? So I can be slapped on the wrist every day.
0: Yeah, well, that's the uh, what do they call it? What's uh, Michelle Malkin call it? The Ben Shapiro's the um, uh, I don't know, but they're, they're the conservatives that will censor you in a minute. Yeah, in a minute. as soon as yeah, you I step call I call line, it
1: the puritanical right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it's that's very much like and and you kind of have that on both sides with like Turning Point and Daily Wire, where they're both very puritanical, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we like women that carry guns. Cool, I like that. And don't have sex until marriage. Wait, what? (laughs) You know, like, that doesn't sound cool. That that sounds really, really backwards. So, you know, I like a woman with a gun. I also like a woman with a dirty mind. Can we combine those two things? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this idea that we're going to restore women to, like, what they looked like back when they were on coins is not appealing to me i'm not really interested in a lot of like 18th century coin pussy if you know what i mean so
0: <laughs> cool man what else you got coming up what should we look for other than what we've talked about already oh i didn't know you're a musician either yeah
1: oh yeah what what gave that away
0: well oh, did you oh. have a pick in your oh, hand because, earlier uh, the
1: article yeah the article yeah, too I did, but right i
0: did yeah <laughs> I you did.
1: yeah no i i've played guitar since so i'm not really a musician i played guitar since i was seven and I was in bands and everything through my teenage years and always was playing with older guys. I started bands and went out and gigged and toured and did all that stuff. Metal bands in my late teens and early twenties. And then when I got into stand-up at 23, I pretty much stopped everything musical and I would still pick up my guitars from time to time and play and jam out or whatever. But uh, I haven't even really picked up my guitars in a while. And um, I, so like, I live with my girlfriend. I don't know if you do, but they'll mine does this thing where we'll be watching something. And she's like, let me, I got to go to the bathroom. And then she'll be up and around the fucking house for an hour doing nonsense. Right? Like, uh, and so you got like, okay, what can I watch that's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30? You know what I mean? Like, so that I can watch it because she's going to be more than a minute but she's not going to be long enough for me to watch a movie or a show in between the fucking movie or the show we're supposed to be watching. So I started watching a lot of these like guitar videos, gear videos, restoration videos. And I have a 1972 Les Paul custom copy, which was like one of the uh, Penko copy, which was like one of the Japanese lawsuit guitars that were basically spec for spec. Yeah. A Gibson Les Paul. Mm hmm. And it was a restoring damn it, but, good
0: guitar, too.
1: Oh, amazing. And I started restoring it. And I like it more than a Gibson because it has a really thin neck because it was made in Japan, and they have little chin, tiny Chinese fucking Japanese hands like I do. So it was perfect for me. And that was the guitar I learned on from the time I was seven until I started getting my own guitars when I was like 15. I got an Ibanez, a bunch of Ibanez's, Jackson's, Schecht, I was playing Schechter when I was touring, which I now live like five minutes from the Schechter factory, which is kind of interesting. They're in Sun Valley and I'm in Burbank. But uh I pulled this thing out and I had started a restoration on it, you know, 15 years ago and never did it. And I have all the parts, so I was like, I'm finishing this guitar. So I literally just ordered the wiring harness um today or the, yeah, all the all the electronics for it to get the pickups going. And then of course I start going in and I go, all right, I need this hardware, I need this. Um, you know, I, I, why don't I just change this? Why don't I change that? So I just went through and went nuts and got a bunch of stuff, but hopefully I'll have that guitar up and running again, uh, pretty soon. And then I have a, a, Sterling Music Man copy. I really like Ernie Ball guitars. Uh, they're kind of random. Not a lot of people play them, but I really like the feel of them. Um, so they're like really short. They're kind of like Telecasters, but they're a little beefier and they have a little bit more real, uh, static-y, dirty sound, which I like. So uh, I still have that guitar, and it still has the factory strings on it from when I bought it. So those need to be replaced. But, I, you know, technology is so crazy. Like, when I was playing guitar when I was, you know, this was like 99, 2000, you had to have an amp just to practice on or jam out it in your house. There was no other technology. Now you can plug your fucking guitar into your computer and play every amp that's ever been invented ever. It's so wild. So, I, you know, this morning, I just plugged the Ernie Ball into my audio interface and was playing around with this app called Amplitude, which is every amp that's ever existed. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is insane. And, like, you can blend them. So I'm like, oh, I have a Roland JC-120 with a Marshall JCM-900, and I can blend the two. And, you know, shit that I never had the money to do when I was playing music. Like, I would just go through phases. So I'll like and initially I was like, no, I have a, I am an Ibanez RG PV 5150 guy. And then I was like, no, no, I'm a, you know, I'm a dual humbucker Marshall guy. And I went through that phase. And then, you know, and then I went through my phase of like baritone guitars and, uh, and I was playing a Mesa triple rectifier at the end of my time playing. And so like, I always had good gear, the most expensive guitar I ever bought. Uh, it was like, I took a credit card out when I was like, 20 years old and then went right to Guitar Center and bought a Paul Reed Smith um, like custom like a $2,700 guitar like an asshole ended up selling it like six months later because my band broke up and I was like well I'm I'm not gigging with this there's no need in having a $3,000 guitar wow so you know I had a job where I was making like 50 grand a year and I was buying fucking $3,000 guitars and you know I thought I was going to be a famous musician so I was like this is an investment (laughs) <laughs> and then, so I sold that. I downgraded it. I was playing Yamaha guitars for a while, which I also love. So mm-hmm. kind of like comedy and everything else. I like playing the stuff that nobody else plays. So I think that's why I have an affinity for like Yamaha guitars and music man guitars. The mm-hmm. craftsmanship's really good and not everybody has them.
0: Cool, man. Give us some uh, people to follow and listen to who you, uh, who do you think's funny? Who are you listening to podcasts or anything? Because, um,
1: uh... I'm so excited for Ryan Long's stand-up special. Okay. really funny Canadian comedian lives right. in New York now. Uh, I think he's one of the funniest dudes. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I talk to Gavin about like people we should target to bring over to censored, he's at the top of the list. Nice. I think you know Ryan is hilarious and uh, really funny and I can't wait to see what it's but. he did a funny teaser on it that I shared on Twitter um, which was sort of like a lot of his sketches where he said, I would describe my style of comedy as exclusively using white women's names as punchlines. And then literally goes on to like mock woke comedy for the next, you know, minute of the clip. But nice. really funny dude, does really great sketches and shorts. The Shane Gillis is another one. The Gillian okay. Keith sketches they did over the pandemic are funnier than anything SNL's done in 40 years. Oh, f-
0: SNL is just a waste of time. It has been for so long.
1: So those are the guys I like the most. I'd say Gillis, Ryan Long. Um, who else out there do I really like? Yeah, as far as, like, actually making comedy content, I'd say those are probably my two favorites. And then as far as podcasts, I mean, you and I listen to the same stuff. I listen to Anthony, Chrissy, uh, Gino. I listen to, uh, you know, Gino and Aaron. When mm-hmm. I can, I listen to uh, Gavin. I, I, I've i been tuning into Gavin almost every day now just because it's, it's part of my routine. And yeah. so, you know, I, I there's not a lot of, um you know, I, I don't really go th- get to go through and, and sort of discover stand up like I did in the early days because the clubs are still like with the masks and the vaccines and everything else. But um, but I I think I love stand up and love other people that are very good at stand up the same way I did when I started. Like, I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh,
0: if it's not me, then it's
1: shit. Like, no, if there's really good people, I'll tell you about
0: them. I think I'm still getting over. I thought I was going to have to break up with Gavin. I'm still getting over the fact that I I actually had to check myself for gills after the uh, Ryan Katsu Rivera firing, man. I was so pissed and I was drunk down here at at my local and i you ha- fell for it i oh totally come and, on fan yeah, i know you after all of that, that after all of it even when i was presented with proof I, I had my first case of mass formation psychosis you could not convince me that it wasn't this real is,
1: this is the problem with you guys that watch every day is that you'll fall for that shit. like i at the time i was watching i really haven't watched every day until after we did the marathon Right. And then I was like, okay, that now and with Maddie there, I just feel like there's a lot more
0: yeah.
1: uh bits and and I love Ryan's impressions, so oh, he's doing yeah. more of that on the show and now the face, and so the face I started watching more and more with the face swaps.
0: And I was drunk um, in my local down here and I had this this, this most vile to like you fuck you, I'm on subbing, and I pulled it, and the next day, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I heard Ryan's voice in the background when Joe was running the board, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm an idiot they got dude me. i didn't
1: i didn't even have the inside scoop on that and i knew it was full of shit and i did <laughs> that's have why i felt so on... fucking bad
0: for myself because i was just like i can't believe i fell for this because it's the, it's exactly their speed it's exactly what they do and i just yeah they do, I do I stuff like that all in the time the...
1: yeah i mean like you know that's gavin's speed like mm. there was there were like rumors going around one time i don't know if milo started them or somebody but they're like that the network was going under
0: yeah and
1: and and so gavin's like i'm gonna start having like lights shut off and like we're just gonna not do the show for a week and you know he'll lean into shit like that Mm. like he'll fuck with the audience Uh on stuff like that which is fun i like somebody who's like oh if they think we're out of money let's let's let them believe we are
0: play it up Yeah.
1: yeah it's it's great like you know, sometimes leaning into the bullshit people say about you is funnier than rejecting it or denying
0: it. Yeah, I've learned that. Yeah. All right, brother. I love you. I got to get out of here because, Likewise, well, man. Gavin's coming up soon. I can't miss the live show, dude. It's Thursday night. There you night. go. So uh, thanks for the time. I appreciate. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, I got a lot of time for Maddie too because guys like you and Maddie, um, you know, talk to your fans. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, you know, you try and get a reply from, uh, Gavin or what if you give him, if you send him an email, that's so dramatic and full of bullshit, he'll respond to it just because he wants to tell you what an idiot you are. But, uh, that's what I like about you guys. You're accessible and you, uh, you communicate with your fans, which is, well, which don't, is great, man. Don't
1: take, don't take that personally. Cause I'll tell you there are days where I'll text Gavin or I'll call him and we'll be on the phone for an hour. And then, like, I'll send him five things over the course of a week, and I won't get a response. Like, I've sent him five things since Monday. Uh, one of them was an idea of something that I was like, we should do this on your show, uh, and I think it'd be really funny. Right. And and nothing. And it's not because it sucks. I think he, would probably, he probably loves it. He just gets busy with shit, man. Yeah, and, yeah. like, so... You just can't take that stuff personally. No, he do, he does, And then, you know, he'll, we'll get wrapped up and then he'll call me and we'll be on the phone for an hour and a half. And I hadn't heard from him for like two months. So mm-hmm. it just happens that way, man. And, you know, the dude is like he, he's paddling most of the oars on the ship that is censored right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do more in terms of creating content and stuff and trying to help out to where, you know, that is the old uh, many hands lightens the load, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do my part and uh, step up and do more stuff. We'll see if we keep doing the sports show over there. It seems like everybody liked it.
0: Yeah, it was great, and it was a good introduction to another talent too. I didn't know who Spitz was, so was, yeah, you know.
1: he's and he's very funny. Like he did, he did just hit himself in the head before we started that, so he was not his normal, you know, riffing impression self at the beginning of that. But he does one of the best Trumps of anybody I oh, know. Oh, really? He does a great John Gruden impression, which he'll bring out on the show all the time. don't even talk
0: about Gruden, man. That's a sensitive spot he's
1: got some good ones. Dude, his fucking... Gruden's
0: one of the best football men ever and a good man. And, you know, I love the story that he told. He went to his doctor and said, Doc, I'm only sleeping like three hours a night. And he says, so how do you feel? He says, fine. He says, so what are you worried about? Go to work. Because he'd be at the office at 4.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, because he was just watching film and obsessed with it. And that... You know that whole takedown of uh, Gruden. Like he, he's one of the most, one of the best football minds in, ever. You know, and yeah. to see him take a knee. And I mean, I guess he was up against it, but oh, that was so much bullshit. So much bullshit. I love John. Gruden. Yeah, and, and he was I an Eagles coach. If, and you got to get over Carson Wentz, man. He ain't all that in a bag of chips.
1: I'm not saying he's top ten. He's the top ten quarterback in the league. Yeah, I give you. You know, that. that's the thing. And you don't get top times everywhere. Yeah, people act. I'm not saying he's fucking Aaron Rodgers, but people talk about him like he's Daniel Jones, and it's like, yo, this guy was MVP, led the Eagles to the season. they've The the only Super Bowl they've ever won. That's true. Okay, and last year, it's like what Colin Coward says, 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 95% completion percentage. Was it all pretty? No, but it still puts him in the top 10 of quarterbacks in the league. So, like, let's let be realistic, and it is because he's a redhead, and I stick by it. People hate gingers; they can't admit it. It's just racism, just like with Kaepernick. <laughs> and I will not let it go. I'll be, well will be, out, I'll listen. Whatever team he goes to, I'll buy his jersey, and I'll be at the games with my sunscreen on, saluting
0: him. Yeah. And you've uh, you're totally off the Eagles, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, fuck the Eagles. No, I'm off Howie Roseman. That was the. Uh, the thing, and almost more so than the Carson Wentz thing that bothered me, was the way they did do Staley. Mm. You know, they, Deuce Staley should have gotten a year.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree with you completely. as an as a
1: head coach to like run it and see how it goes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, yeah, give Deuce give the guy whole, he had been with the organization to. for two decades. Give the guy a run.
0: Yeah, no, I agree completely.
1: So I I didn't like that. That was that was where I was like, uh, and then I hated the Nick. Uh, uh, whatever his name, Foles. what's his
0: name? Nick Foles. No, 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 the, the, the coach. Special? Oh, uh, Sirianni. Sirianni. I hated
1: the Sirianni hire.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I just, I, I listen, I, and I'll say this until I'm blue in the face. I'm sick of white coordinators with visors being put on a pedestal as coaches. None of them ever worked out. Like, I look at guys like D'Amico Ryans who were great leaders on the field who also now can scheme a great defense with the Niners. How the fuck is that guy not at the top of everybody's list? Mm. You know? He's a guy who played the game.
0: When you talk about. Well, if we just, if we, if the NFL would just put quotas in, it would make everything, it would fix everything.
1: Yeah, but see, so that's not gotta- the right answer either. Like you don't want a quota, but listen, I'm not a quota guy, no. but you can't tell me that the Rooney rule is actually having the opposite effect hmm. because they have to interview black candidates. There's almost like this resentment towards them and they aren't getting a fair shake. Hmm. So, you know, you can't tell me that throughout the last 10, 10 seasons, There hasn't been a black candidate who showed up as, like, a guy who wasn't even on their radar and wowed everybody and won the job. That just doesn't happen, ever. It happens all the time with white dudes in the NFL. Like, Sirianni wasn't on the list of coaches for the Eagles at all, and then he comes out of nowhere. Oh, that's fine, but where are those candidates that are black dudes who come out of nowhere and wow
0: you? Yeah, and, like, Deuce has given his whole career to the city and the team, you know what I mean, and was a talented he was a great coach, man.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing is like I do believe you talk about black men needing father figures. Why is Andy Reid so successful? Every player that's ever played for him has been like he's like a second father to me. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about black men needing real leadership, do you think a guy like Nick Siriani is going to be a better leader than somebody like Eric Biennemi? Get the fuck out of here, dude. Mm. You were a Division Three wide receiver in college ball. You were a coordinator on a team that barely won any playoff games and didn't, like, you're fucking mediocre. Your whole career has been mediocre. Eric mm. Bieniemy played in the NFL at the highest fucking level for a decade mm. and then has coached at the NFL at the highest level for a decade, you know, was a head coach at, what, Colorado State or whatever. Uh, so he's been a head coach. He's got all the experience in the world. He obviously can scheme and call plays. What are we doing? You know, it's just this weird it's what it's it's Sean McVay sensationalism. Everybody loves Sean McVay, they love what he did, they love the idea of like the young white coach, Chucky Jr. And it's like that's not the fucking future mm. of football. And these teams are going to suck. These teams are like sorry, but Mike McDaniel in Miami, they the you think that little pencil neck fucking homo is going <laughs> to walk up to a 6 foot 9 Three hundred fifty pound black guy and get him to play harder. There's no way. There's no way. He might suck his dick into <laughs> submission and be like, "All right, I'll, I'll fucking play for you, coach. That's the best head I've ever had."
0: Shit, I that almost little got up. Of-
1: nerd. <laughs> that nerd is not getting uh, coach is not coaching anybody up to play ball.
0: It ain't happening. Fuck, we got to end it there, man. Fuck it. That's the strongest note ever. I thought I I thought I got out of this interview without getting canceled, but maybe uh, right, maybe man. I'll get a strike tonight. Who knows? Anyways, there you go. much respect, my brother. Never stop right, the self-deprecation. I fucking love it, and it makes it okay <laughs> for me. I have a. I was a little. I had a few drinks the other night, and I started doing a little promo. I don't know if I was what it was, but I was not kind to you, and it felt so fucking good, bro.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> fine.
0: So I'm gonna cut you loose, and uh, I'm gonna pimp out your links here a little bit, and All right, uh, man. get on to uh, get off my lawn live. Love you, buddy. All right, cool, buddy. Peace out. Later. Ciao. That's how you do that. Josh Denny. Wow. Always a solid interview and a good laugh. I mean, stand-up comedians aren't always funny when you interview them, but that kid is funny and fat and ginger, and it's perfect. Anyways, Josh Denny, here's how you can find him. How do I get out of my view here? Exit drag this over fresh dumps. I don't, I'm not sure what this is. I'm not I'm completely up on all his stuff. This is Josh Denny here. Maybe I'll slide this down so you can see the URL. Oh, you have to zoom in close but uh, Josh Denny Here he is on the tw- twatter at Josh Denny here he is uh, next week tonight with Josh Denny, which will be coming back soon. He hasn't done a show since the end of the year. Season one just finished up. Here he is on the gram. Uh, Instagram.com slash Josh Denny. Jerkum, Jenk'em? Jerk'em. Fucking idiot. Jenk'em. What the fuck is Jenkum? It's a Joss, a Josh. <laughs> I'm completely sober a Josh Denny podcast. That's where you find him. here. The links are in the show description below. Here's his fan page on the fake book. Here's his YouTube channel. Here he is on IMDB. Did you know that I have an IMDB page? (laughs) (laughs) For real watch. Uh, actor Fight! Oh, how come I can't? Some put a picture up for me. Well, I thought I, I thought I subscribed to IMDb Pro so I could change my picture. Yeah, I'm the boss in fight. You know it. And here, oh, this is the wiki thing. So that's it. I'm out. Uh, Head on over to Censored I think you can watch the first. uh, Uh, 30 minutes free. See how I didn't say for free? You can watch it free. Because you could watch it for $10 a month for $10 a month, or you can watch it free. Free does not require the preposition for. It's a preposition, right? Yeah. Anyways, uh, thanks to my guest. Josh Denny's always been generous with his time and uh, he is always hilarious as fuck. And sorry to Facebook. I promoted it so much on Facebook, but then uh, for whatever reason, the feed didn't go out. We went out to TrueTube, we went out to YouTube on True, the TrueTube channel on YouTube. We went to DLive and Twitch. I'm watching it right now on YouTube, so we're there. But uh, the fake book feed did not roll out tonight for whatever reason. So, peace, love, hug your neighbor, whatever you do, rip that mask off your face, it's not doing anything, I love you, I am Oot.